time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for Tech Tuesday. Welcome back to Tech Tuesday. I'm Myla Wong. My name is Raj Shroff, and I'm a director of applied AI research at Blue Artificial Intelligence. So OpenAI just unveiled its text-to-video generator called Sora. It's still being tested by experts, but we've seen some demo videos. So Raj, what do you think about them? Well, most of the early reactions are people are generally impressed with the quality and realism of Sora's video output. We are clearly not at the stage where Sora or any AI-generated video can replace CGI and Hollywood, but the improvement we've seen from just a few months ago is jaw-dropping, to say the least. They generated a video where a woman is walking around Tokyo at night, and the shadows and reflections in this video are almost perfect. Her facial features and the way her hair moves are pretty natural. The impressive part is the text prompt used to generate this high-quality video was only 64 words long and written like how you or I would describe the scene in the video. Nothing special there. But it can only generate videos up to a minute long. Yeah, so that's one of the main shortcomings. The video is only one minute long and it has no sound. There's a few other shortcomings that OpenAI is very open about, and that's simply because video generation is really hard. For example, if you prompt Sora to generate a video of a man running on a treadmill, it generates a video of the man facing the wrong way when he's running on the treadmill. Another example is you see people and animals appear out of thin air and walk through each other. So while Sora is designed to simulate real-world physics, real-world conditions. It hasn't fully conquered that challenge just yet. What's the tech behind Sora? Sora is something called a diffusion model, much like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion. So this model has learned to generate videos, starting from meaningless random pixels and colors, and gradually transforming it into a video that makes sense over many steps. Imagine that your video starts off as a black screen or a random mixture of colors, and slowly comes into focus as a video of a dog running on a beach or whatever you wanted to create. So just now you said that in just a matter of a few months, this AI video generation tech has improved a lot. So how did that happen? There's a theory within the tech community that Sora and OpenAI is using synthetically generated data. To train the video model, in addition to using real-world data, so synthetic data is basically, in this case, images and text descriptions that is automatically created by computers. If you're adding synthetic data to real data, it increases the size of the model's training data set, which means the model has more data to learn from. The second theory is that Sora is using something called an Unreal Engine, which is the most popular 3D graphics and video game engine used by today's leading video games in terms of video game quality. So this might be why Sora's videos are able to simulate real-world physics better than other video models. And what's OpenAI doing to prevent its software from being abused? It's currently being tested for safety to ensure that Sora does not generate. False or harmful content. When it finally is released, I predict that we won't be able to generate videos of prominent people such as Biden or Trump. And OpenAI also says that they will review each frame that is generated from the software to ensure that it doesn't violate OpenAI's safe usage policies. 
And how important do you think it is to have this technology to be able to create videos based on text descriptions? Looking into the future, let's look maybe two to five years into the future. There are some profound implications of using AI-generated video. So imagine you have a teacher that can bring a historical event to life,、uh, describing a famous battle and converting it to video. Or you have filmmakers crafting entire movie scenes without being on a film set. So the tech really increases possibilities for content creation and makes content creation accessible to more people. You don't really have to be an expert video editor, or you don't need to have fancy cameras. Are we gonna see an even bigger improvement this year? Maybe like an AI-generated feature-length movie? Is definitely gonna be possible at some point. The real problem so far is that it's hard to generate an AI video that has all the details that you want it to have. So once we kind of overcome this hurdle, we might see what you're talking about in the real world. Speaking of OpenAI, its CEO Sam Altman is reportedly trying to raise seven or eight trillion U.S. dollars to overhaul the global AI chip industry. What does that mean exactly to reshape the AI chip industry? Well, currently, global chip design and manufacturing is concentrated among a small number of companies. So, within this, the production of AI chips, specifically for AI applications, is even more concentrated and hard to do. Now, for a company like OpenAI, it produces a dependency risk on these major chip makers. Because they need to rely on other companies to get AI chips, graphics cards, and other hardware, and we're already facing an AI chip shortage today. So we don't know the exact details of Sam Altman's seven trillion or eight trillion vision, but people are speculating that he is pitching a partnership between OpenAI and investors, chip makers, and energy companies, where these partners come together to build chip foundries. That would then be run by existing chip makers, but OpenAI gets to be their preferred customer or something like that. Actually, some reports also said、um, Mr. Altman wants to not just make AI chips, but also to develop AI infrastructure like real estate and powerful data centers. Well, yeah, it's all about creating the entire ecosystem, like a vertically integrated supply chain for chip manufacturing, design, and even powering all of OpenAI's AI needs. So the development is not just about chips. So you need data centers to process the data that feed into AI systems. It makes perfect sense for OpenAI to vertically integrate and be in control of their own supply chain for AI chips, data processing centers, and other hardware needs. But what do you think about the eight trillion figure? Is it bold or just insane? Well, it's definitely insane, but maybe not that insane because a seven trillion target is great for generating attention. After all, seven trillion is about seven percent of global GDP. Altman's vision: We don't know exactly how much it will cost, but it's going to be very expensive. Building advanced chip fabrication plants from scratch is not cheap or easy. Especially if you want to create state-of-the-art AI chips. So, is it really going to cost seven trillion? I don't know, but it's definitely going to cost somewhere into the trillions. Do we know who he is trying to get investment from? When you want to raise seven or eight trillion dollars, you really can't be picky about who you talk to. So, right now, Sam Altman and OpenAI are in talks to raise money from or create partnerships with multiple organizations, including. 
SoftBank from Japan, TSMC in Taiwan, or even the government of the United Arab Emirates. So this global partnership plan, although it's in an early stage, could cause geopolitical headaches for the U.S. government specifically, which may want to limit foreign investment in OpenAI, which is a key U.S. AI company. The talks are still in very early stages, so things could change very quickly. If OpenAI really gets so much money, I mean, how would this change the AI sector as a whole? It could reduce future chip shortages and bring down the cost of AI chips, and that's really good for everyone. More AI companies that will pop up in the future are great for creating the next generation of ChatGPT, Midjourney, and even Sora. So if OpenAI succeeds, it's actually good for not just them, but for the entire market as well. A satellite is being launched next month to monitor methane emissions, and Google will be mapping the data of this potent greenhouse gas to show which oil and gas production facilities may be responsible. Raj, can you tell us more about this project? Well, Google plans to use satellites to measure methane levels in the atmosphere, as well as detect the oil and gas facilities that are emitting extra methane, possibly due to leaks. So, detecting the methane itself is probably done by studying how light is absorbed in a specific region. So, measuring light at specific wavelengths could tell you that methane is present in the air in a specific area when you're looking down at that area using satellite imagery. And how exactly is Google doing this? I mean, how is it going to track methane emissions with its computing power and、um, AI technology? Well, there's a two-step process here. First,、um, Google's using、uh, satellites like MethaneSat, which is operated by a different company, to actually measure small areas of methane leaks and even large areas of methane leaks. And what they're doing with their own satellites is using essentially computer vision to look down at the ground and identify which areas have oil and gas production facilities, what kind of equipment is there, and how big they are. So they're essentially overlaying that satellite imagery with methane emissions data to figure out which production facilities for oil and gas are emitting more methane than others. And I think Google said it's going to publish a map of the emission data soon. Yeah, so they want to create a global map of oil and gas infrastructure to understand which components or which facilities contribute the most methane emissions. And what's going to happen when we have the methane data? Well, this data is actually going to be very useful for oil and gas companies or any other companies or organization whose operations emit methane. So the oil companies, for example. They want to know if their facilities are leaking too much methane, because it means that some of their equipment is not working well. So fixing that equipment will save money as well as help the environment. And that's really the overall goal here: give companies insights on how they can reduce methane emissions while also making their own operations more efficient from a business standpoint. Are there any other examples where AI is used to help fight climate change? Yeah, there's actually many examples. AI has been very useful in optimizing production or optimizing energy usage to reduce waste. So one example is how machine learning is used to reduce the energy intake for data centers. Data centers use a lot of energy because you need to have your air conditioners running most of the day so that the servers and equipment does not overheat. But at some point, you're using too much air conditioning, and it's just wasteful. 
So we've seen some data centers in the past, mainly from Google, where they've used AI to measure exactly how much air conditioning a data center needs. And they're using AI systems to automatically turn on and turn off air conditioning to make sure that you're only using as much energy as you need and not too much energy, which is wasteful. Right. Do you know how much energy can be saved? Yeah. So in this specific case study, which is a few years old, they actually realized that by using AI to automatically control air conditioning, you could reduce energy usage by up to 12 to 15 percent. And this technology can be applied elsewhere. I mean, not just at data centers. Yep. So any operation that emits any kind of bad emission or any organization that uses a lot of energy. And we're seeing um, intelligent farming technology that uses machine learning to determine how much water to give to the crops. What is the ideal uh, humidity conditions? What is the ideal amount of pesticides to use? and the optimal temperature conditions to ensure that most crops grow healthy and you don't have to throw anything away or discard it.